If you brought your Bibles, you can open them up to the Gospel of Matthew. Been in a teaching series looking at King and Kingdom in Matthew as we talk about Advent and Christmas and Nativity. If you fast forward a little bit in Matthew's Gospel to chapter 21, there's an uproar in the city of Jerusalem. I don't know if you can imagine, but people are, are, are running and, and scurrying about, and there is word that he is coming. The people grab uh, palm fronds and, and begin to tie them together, and they grab their coats and their jackets, and they begin to run to the city entrance, and, and you see him coming on a hilltop. This, this man comes in riding not on a, on a kingly horse, but on the the VW bug of uh, farm animals on a donkey. <laughs> People see him, they begin to shout, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is one who comes in the name of the Lord. And they wave their fronds, they wave their Hosannas. And as the whole city begins to swell towards this entrance, to this man's entrance, there is a question that rises out of the crowd. It, it says in uh, Matthew chapter 21, verse 10, it says, the entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. And they asked, who is this? That is a good question. If Matthew's gospel, I mean all the gospels I think ask this question, but Matthew especially has this question as a target. Who is this is exactly the question Matthew is trying to answer in his gospel, in his record. And it starts at the very beginning. If you look in chapter one of Matthew, in the first 16 verses, it says, this is a record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron, and Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Abinadab. Abinadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. Salmon? I don't know. Uh, Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of King David. And David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the father of Abijah. Abijah was the father of Asa. Asa was the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was the father of Jehoram. Jehoram was the father of Uzziah. And Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. And Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh. Manasseh was the father of Ammon. And Ammon was the father of Josiah. Josiah was the father of Jehoiachin and his brothers, born at the time of the exile to Babylon. And after the Babylonian exile, Jehoiachin was the father of Sheatil, and Sheatil was the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the father of Abud, and Abud was the father of Eliakim. Eliakim was the father of Azor, and Azor was the father of Zadok, and Zadok of Achim, Achim of Eliud, Eliud the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of 
Mathan, Mathan the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. So I'm sure uh, you guys have that memorized. I want you to know that uh, um, it's important uh, because Matthew puts it first. You guys see that? I know sometimes when we think about genealogies or maybe you, uh, uh, there are strange people who like this. Uh, Ancestry.com makes a lot of money from people who like the genealogies. They want to know this. And, and maybe for you it seems boring or meaningless. Uh, but if, you, if your question, the, the question you are trying to answer is who is this, then genealogy becomes really important. I want you to imagine a culture and a time where, where everything, your land, your property, your wealth, even titles are passed down father to son. And in that world, in that culture, bloodlines become really, really important. Genealogies, especially for Israel, but, but for everyone at the time of this writing, were, were stringently kept and maintained. Everyone... Um, would have known the bloodline and been able to recite it. Especially if it was the bloodline of someone important, a person of power or significance or prominence. Are you with me? Matthew's genealogy um, there are some names that, that would stand out, especially for Jewish people, that would stand out far and above other names in this list. The name Abraham, the father of the covenant. He is listed. Also, the son of David. David in, uh, in the Jewish mind is like George Washington in our mind, right? Like the ultimate, like he is the ultimate leader. He's, he's the prototype, president, king. Uh, king David is the gold standard that everyone respected and wanted to be like. He was the standard by which everyone else would be compared. And I want you to see, even from the very beginning, Matthew is attempting to answer that very specific question, who is this? I love if, um, I, I know Matthew's nativity isn't the most Christmassy. <laughs> I know you don't sit around on Christmas Eve and say, let's read the genealogy together. Uh, you know, like, you know, like, let's read the genealogy story. No, like, like we, we like a different story. But, but Matthew has a really specific purpose in mind, a really specific question of who is this? I want you to think about this. And, and maybe this week you, you can explore some of this for yourself. But read the first two chapters of Matthew because Matthew's nativity is, is really super specific. In Matthew's nativity story, there is no mention of a dingy stable or, or baby in a manger. Instead, it's going to blow your minds and mess up all your Christmas decorations. Uh, Matthew's baby Jesus is in a house. I know. I just killed Christmas. Matthew's Jesus isn't surrounded by lowly, dirty shepherds, commoners, but instead by Magi, not kings. Magi is, uh, you guys know, uh, we've talked about this, I think, a little bit before. Magi is where we get the word magician. They were astrologers. 
They were the ones that paid attention to things and how they worked. But uh, uh, these weren't just any, any, any magi. They were foreign magi. They probably weren't the same color as the people in Jerusalem. Are you with me? They were from far away, and yet they were incredibly important, important people. They held the company of the king. And again, I know this is going to blow all your, your nativity decorations, but, but the magi aren't like ooing and aahing over the baby Jesus. They're, they're not taking turns holding him, passing him around. Look what it says in, in verse 11 of chapter 2. It says, they bowed down and worship him. They open their treasure chest and give Jesus gifts, gifts fit for a king. All right, this is super important. Jesus walks through the, the, the pages of Matthew's gospel as if in the purple and gold of royalty. He doesn't just give us any genealogy. He gives us the genealogy of a king. Who is Jesus? Who is this? A king. And as a king, that's really where the trouble starts. In chapter 2, we're introduced to, to uh, another king in Matthew's nativity story. This king is named Herod the Great. And uh, Herod is this really notable guy, even in, uh, even in archaeology. We, we've looked and we've been able to find, archaeologists have found some of his buildings and some of, he was, a, he was a constructor, he was a builder of things. His own palace, he, uh, uh, his own palace, he actually moved her and built his own mountain. And on the mountain, on top of the mountain, he built his own palace on top of it. And his own palace had a swimming pool that was like five times the size of our swimming pools. His palace, some archaeologists have said, had running water. All right, so this is like, this guy builds big things. He built a temple in Jerusalem. It was called Herod's Temple. Solomon had built a temple, but Herod was going to make it even better. And what he does is he cuts the whole top of a mountain off and then builds this temple using all this beautiful stone and marble and gold work. And the, even the historians of this time said, when you saw the temple from a distance, it looked like a snow-peaked mountain. He was a builder of things, especially of things that would make his name Great. But Herod the Great was also known to be incredibly ruthless. He was a cruel and hateful leader. Um, he murdered two of his wives and three of his own sons, who he suspected of plotting against him. Friendly guy. Very protective of his name and his legacy and his crown. Caesar. Roman Caesar said of Herod the Great, this is, this is Caesar's quote, Caesar said of Herod the Great, he said it's better to be Herod's pig than to be his son. That gives you any insight into who he was. 
And Herod the Great went by another title because of the area, the province that he ruled and maintained. He went by the name King of the Jews. So, when astrologers, magi, see a star, and they show up in the city of Jerusalem, where one of Herod the Great's palaces are, there's a problem. Because if you look in verse 2 of chapter 2 of Matthew, look what the, look what the, uh, the magi say. They march into the city of Jerusalem, and apparently these are very noticeable people. They look different. They travel different. There was probably more than three of them. I know that just messed up your nativity again. They march into the city of Jerusalem, and they say, where is the newborn what? King of the Jews. We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. think that question would get Herod's attention. The title king of the Jews belonged to Herod the Great. That was him. And now we have these foreigners coming in saying, where's the newborn king of the Jews? Herod has already killed even some of his own wives and even some of his own children to protect that title that belonged to him. And now Rumors begin to circulate that there is a newborn king of the Jews. Uh, I, I love this question. Do you think Herod believed the Magi? What do you think? Like, so, okay, this is, this, is a, this is a great kind of roundabout question. Like, like do you think that Herod the Great believed, that, believed the Magi, believed that there was a newborn king? Did, did he believe that, that, and did he believe that Jesus was the newborn king? All right, so let's just pretend like, so Herod the Great did not believe the Magi. He did not believe anything about the star, and he did not, let's just, just, just pretend with me for a minute, that Herod did not believe that Jesus was the newborn king. If he didn't believe him, what would he have done? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, he, he would have said, it's just another baby. Who cares? It's no big deal. I'm Herod the Great. I've got money and power and prestige. Zero threat to me. Right? But that's not what he does, is it? If he did believe the Magi, like if they're really convincing somehow that Jesus is the king, that that would mean that Jesus is a threat. And that would, that would mean he would need to act in some way, which as it turns out is exactly what Herod does. He builds a plot to kill Jesus, right? He even tries to sneakily enlist the help of the Magi to make this happen. And when the plot fails, his paranoia really takes, over, takes off. And, and he has every male child two years and, un, and younger in Bethlehem killed just to be on the safe side. All right, so maybe Herod the Great believed the Magi. Maybe, you know, like uh, convinced that Jesus was the coming king. But maybe he didn't. But at the very, very least... He was super concerned, right, that Jesus at least could be the newborn king. Are you with me? 
But Matthew's genealogy, this royal elements of, of kingly genealogy, Matthew's genealogy never uses the word king. Do you see that? Instead, Matthew's genealogy uses the word Messiah. Even from the very first verse, this is, this is a record of Jesus, the Messiah. In Greek, it's, it's translated Christ. And, and Messiah is another term for a king. Messiah means anointed one. Who is the anointed one? The king is the anointed one. But Messiah is, is not really a, a name. It's, it's, it's more, of a, more of a title. Um, I, I'm a pastor, but that's not my name, right? It speaks to my, it, it speaks more to my purpose, like a, like, like a plumber, you know, well, I'm a plumber, but that's not your name, that, that's who you are, or I'm a writer, or I'm a, Messiah is, is Jesus' job description, it's what he does, it's his purpose, and the purpose of the Messiah, the anointed one, is the exact same purpose as of a king, and the Messiah's purpose, like a king's purpose, is to bring about a new kingdom. And it turns out, if you look carefully, in, in Mark and in Matthew, that's exactly what Jesus preaches. The first time he preaches, look what it says in Matthew chapter 4, verse, verse 17. It says, from this point on, Jesus began to preach, and he says, repent of your sins and turn to God for the what? Kingdom of heaven is near. So Jesus is the Messiah. At least Matthew is, is answering this question, who is Jesus? He's the Messiah. He's the king and, and so a question that extends from that, even, even if you dig a little bit further, it's like, okay, so if Jesus is the Messiah, if he is the newborn king, then, then what kind of kingdom is this? What kind of kingdom will he bring about? And, and who, who really is this kingdom for? Oh, these are awesome questions. Like if you go back even to Matthew's genealogy, and in the midst of Matthew's genealogy, which, which has royal and noble elements, in, in so many ways, it's the perfect bloodline, right? You have Abraham and you have King David. You, you, I mean, you have these stellar stars in this bloodline. But Matthew also includes names that frankly no one else would have mentioned. Do you have family and relative that you just don't talk about. <laughs> don't point to them if they're here. <laughs> like the, the Jewish people would have known the genealogy of David by heart. Like they really would have. But there would have been moments that they would have proudly pronounced of Abraham and son of David. And there were others that they would have said, and Tamar. I think it's important for us to see in this royal genealogy, Matthew includes elements that nobody else does. He lists the names of women. Why? Think about this culture. Things are handed down father to son. Right? Everything is, is, is through the father bloodline what what purpose is there to list the names of women and and he doesn't just list any women he 
he lists women who are not Jewish women. And, and men too, but, but really women who have committed adultery. And even if you look very closely, there are some who are prostitutes. This is going to tarnish our royal bloodline. You know what I'm saying? Like we're making this thing about a king. So why? Man, it'd be worth your time to, to really look at all those names. And it would take some time. But it'd be worth your time to look at the names in Matthew's genealogy because the names he chooses are really important. He includes women and Gentiles and less than perfect people because from the very first word, Matthew is telling us about the Messiah, the king, but he's also telling us about the type of kingdom the king is going to bring. There's this fascinating thing that happens in Matthew's gospel. And as we study more, you'll, you'll see this begin to come to light. Uh, Matthew is, is a, as a gospel as a whole, is like ultra Jewish. Ultra Jewish. Maybe in the New Testament, the only book that could come close is, is Hebrews, which is Israel. It's a Jewish book. Matthew is all about the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. We talked about that last week. It, it even includes the the most Jewish thing of all, a, a detailed genealogy. Yet even though Matthew's gospel, like Matthew's Messiah, is, is in a lot of ways the most Jewish of all gospels, it is also the most inclusive gospel of outsiders. I'll give you an example. Who shows up at Jesus' birth? Who's there? So yeah, we, okay, so you have magi show up at Jesus' birth, right? Magicians of a different color from a different land. And, and are these magicians uh, poor or wealthy? Yeah, probably wealthy. They, they get the attention of the entire city of Jerusalem. They even, when they come into town, they even get the attention of Herod the Great, right? And, and what kind of gifts do they bring? Yeah, like gold and, and frankincense and essential oil. I mean, right? Like, that's all you need. So foreigners, Gentiles, high ups, powerful. But who else? And Matthew doesn't include it, but who else shows up at Jesus' birth? They're informed about his birth by angels in this sky. The shepherds, the great janitors of, of the ancient first century. Right? I mean, shepherds were, you, you could not get more common than a shepherd. Sure, it's noble, but it, it's just a, a common job for common people. Right? Now, let me ask you this Who doesn't show up at Jesus' birth that maybe you think should or would? Say it, say it loud. Yeah. Where are the Jewish people? Right? Have you ever thought about that? In Jerusalem is the temple of God. In the temple of God work who? The priest. The high priest of that, that know every prophecy of the Old Testament by heart. Right? Where are the rabbis? Jerusalem has over 60 synagogues in it. Each one has a rabbi sharing the prophecies every single week. Where are they? 
Do you see this interesting thing that Matthew does? Like, like the ones that you would expect to be at Jesus' birth aren't there. Yet, Herod the Great, I mean, Mr. Anti-Jewish, everything, like in, in a lot of ways, like he recognizes the truth about Jesus when more often than not, God's own people don't. And I think this is, this gives us some insight. Like, I think Matthew is teaching us about the kind of kingdom the Messiah is coming to bring. Look what it says in Matthew chapter 9, verses 12 and 13. When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. Who offers sacrifices? <laughs> yeah. I want you to show mercy, for I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. That's a kingdom idea. Are you seeing it? Huge idea. The power of Matthew's gospel in, in the power of, of the Messiah's kingdom is found in who it is for. Matthew's Messiah, Matthew's kingdom, the Messiah's kingdom is, is not a kingdom, not a gospel for the saint, but for the sinner. Matthew tells the story of a Jesus who has come not for the healthy, but for the sick who willingly enters into our darkness, into our sin, at our lowest, most shameful, bringing with him the light of God, who with outstretched finger calls you and me, calls sinful scum like us to come and follow him. Matthew's Messiah comes and offers a kingdom that is for everyone. Do you remember Matthew's question? There's several moments in Matthew's gospel. And in, in chapter 12, like, like there's this moment after Jesus heals a blind man and, and a dumb man, the people look at each other, they look around and they say, can this be the son of David? There's all this anxiousness about, could it, could it really be him? I... I I hope you're feeling some of that. Because Matthew's question is, who is Jesus? Even near the end of Matthew's gospel, Jesus himself, he asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? This is an incredibly important question. Who is Jesus? And, and, and I don't want you to miss this at all, but this is a Christmas question. It really is. Who is this child? Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And, and I don't want you to miss this either. He's asking you too. Who do you say is Jesus? Who is this The fulfillment of prophecy, 
the son of Abraham, the son of David. Well, he's the king, he's royalty. If King Herod believed Jesus to be the newborn king, then so should we, frankly. But what if he was more than king? What if he was Messiah? Are you ready to claim him Lord of your life and enter into his promised kingdom? You know what the good news of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is? It's still open to you and to me. So I want to send you to a a time of communion with that question. Who is Jesus? We answer it um, in lots of different ways, right? We sang the song, we believe, we believe. So who is Jesus? We, We answer that in the way we treat our neighbors. We answer it in the way we talk to our spouse or our employees. We answer it in the way we spend our money and even spend our time, right? How we answer that question is incredibly important. And so today, I just want to send you uh, uh, to a time of communion and reflection, and I want you to meditate on that question. How would you answer that question? Who is Jesus? So around the room, we have the elements of communion set up. It's, it's a part of our tradition, but it's a part of who we are. It's a part of our heart. We know when the Christians gathered, they had a meal together. They shared Christ. They, they shared communion. And on the, el- on the table are the elements of communion. A cup, a simple cup that represents his blood poured out for us. Uh, a simple piece of, of bread that represents his body broken for us. And today I want to do things a little bit different. Uh, in just a minute, I'll say a prayer and I want to send you to these tables and I want you to, to pick up the elements and then I want you to come back to your seat and just hold the elements. All right? And I'm going to, after everyone returns the seats, we're going to lower the lights, and I'm going to just play a, a simple video. It's a, it's a simple song. There's, there aren't any, even any words to it. And as that song is playing, as it's, it, it, you'll see it on the screen, I just want you to ask yourself, who is Jesus? I want you to answer that question. I want you to take those elements when it feels right for you. All right, so everybody understand? We got it? Let me say a prayer for us. Father God, I thank you so much for your word and, and for its power. Father God, I, I pray that you would give us eyes to see. It happens again and again in your word. It happens again and again in the gospel that those who are supposed to see end up not seeing. And so, Father God, it, it's a tale that, that teaches us that don't be like this. So, Father God, how you can and where you can, if there are things blocking our side, if there are things blocking uh, uh, in, in front of us that, that are preventing us from recognizing you and who you are and your truth, then, Father God, I pray that, that you would remove those things. Confront us today with that question of, of who is Jesus? Let it be a question we meditate on and, and, and hold on to and cling on to. And Father God, I, I pray that, that we would recognize the truth, that, that your word, that your spirit would do its work on us and the truth would, I, I think our, I, God, I think you give us hearts that already know the truth. So how you can and where you can help us receive the truth of your son Jesus to recognize him as king of our lives. And Father God, let us move into his kingdom today.
This is only possible through your son Jesus and his sacrifice. And we remember him now, even in this moment. Father God, we thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name that everyone together says, Amen.